0: Good morning again. It's good to see you all. Thanks for gathering here this morning and uh, thanks for bringing the church into this YMCA gymnasium. And for those of you that are joining us online for CPWP at home, thanks for uh, inviting us into your living room, your dining room table. Thanks for bringing the church into those Uh, Spaces And so uh, I'm excited that we get to dive into a series we began last week called Come and See. And it's this invitation to know the real Jesus. And so as we thought and prayed and just looked ahead to this upcoming year, um, one of the things that just so resonated with, with me and something I'm excited to get into is just spending the bulk of 2021 examining the life of Jesus and how that brings transformation and helps shape who we are as followers of Christ. Perhaps if you're, somebody, if you're new to Christianity or you're wrestling with doubts, this is a perfect book to be in and get to know the real Jesus. And so what we did last week, just by way of a quick recap, is we went all the way toward the end of the book of John, all right, um, and in John chapter 20, We read these words in John 20, verse 31. He tells us his purpose for writing it. He says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so the big idea here is not just a generic sort of belief of just like, oh, there's some sort of higher power or this, but rather it's a very specific belief that the historical man, Jesus, was more than simply a man. He is the Son of God, he is the Messiah, he is the Christ, and if you believe in him, that's where you actually find life. And even that theme of life is just this kind of thread that runs throughout the book of John. And so what we looked at is also in this great book there's invitations over and over again with these words, come and see. Would you come and see? Would you bring your doubts? Would you bring your insecurities? Would you bring your fear? Would you bring your celebrations? Would you bring anything that you're experiencing in life? And just like come and see and meet the real Jesus. Had me thinking that this week, perhaps you remember this particular scene in the book or in the movie, if you've ever read C.S. Lewis's work, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, all right? In the Chronicles of Narnia, there's this scene that takes place where this young girl, Lucy, comes in contact. She is in the presence of the Christ figures, Aslan, who is representing this lion, all right? And she hasn't seen him In quite a while, and she gets into his presence, and here's the interaction. He says, welcome, child, he said, and you gotta do the deep voice if you could, right? And Aslan said, Lucy, you're bigger. That's her first, like the first words, her first observation as she sees him. And he says, that's because you are older, little one, answered he. Not because you are, she says back to him, and he says, I am not, but every year you grow, you will find me bigger. And if there's a hope for us in 2021, it's that Jesus would loom larger and larger in your life. All right that as we get older, as we mature in the faith, as we come to know this Jesus, as we come and see and we hear his invitation, that we would find him more magnificent, more powerful, more caring, more compassionate, that our belief in him would increase. Because when John says that you may believe, it's not just a one time as you come to faith in him, as important as that is, and it includes that, but also an ongoing belief that day by day, week by week, month by month, that as we journey through this particular book, that we might be able to look back and rejoice together in this picture like, Jesus, you're bigger. You're bigger than I possibly could have ever imagined. And so John is gonna help us in this. And so now we get to go to where it all starts in John chapter one. So please go there. Um, If you brought a Bible, go to John chapter one. I'm gonna read the first 13 verses as always, you can go to cpwp.life on your phone, swipe over to the second card that says message notes and you'll find the text that will be in this morning listed there as well as any of the things that are up on the screen will be listed there as well. And so John chapter one, I'm gonna read these first 13 verses. This is referred to as the prologue. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And that light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Verse six, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Verse 10, he was in the world and the world was created through him and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. This is God's word to us as he inspires, the Holy Spirit inspires the servant John, the apostle John, to pen these words, not just for people a couple thousand years ago, but for us, like God knew when he had John record this, that you would be here either in person or online listening to this message on this particular day, Happy Valentine's Day by the way, right? Like that's what he knew, he'd planned this, that you would be here so that you and I could get to know the real Jesus. Now, this passage is loaded. There's so many things in here we wouldn't have time to unpack it. I feel like this week just kept pouring through like different commentaries and studies and articles in, in, in books. And it's like, oh, wow, there's this layer and there's this layer and there's this, this layer. All right, watched a guy give a lecture on the book of John that was five hours. After two hours, I tapped out. I was like, all right, I got nothing. I got nothing left. There's just like, there's just so many things in here And everything in many ways that we see in chapter one shows up again throughout this book. And so if there's any themes that we look at and we just get to touch on for a moment, don't worry like if we didn't get to do a deep dive into it, it's gonna come up over and over and over again in this. And so as we look at the first couple of verses, I wanna look this morning at things that are revealed. All right, by way of introduction, like what's being revealed and right out of the gate there's some things that are being revealed about this person that's described as the word. Now, you have to put yourself back in. Imagine hearing this for the first time and you don't have any church background. You don't, you've, you don't really know anything about the scriptures. You don't know anything about Jesus. Like, if you're familiar with the, like the story of scriptures and you've been around the church, like you kind of know, maybe, like, oh, in the beginning was the word. Okay, we know we're talking about Jesus right here. But just for, imagine for a moment that you didn't know any of that. And so John is laying this out, and he's got to unpack for us both the divinity of Christ and as we'll get into more specifically next week, the humanity of Christ. And so the first thing we see in these first couple of verses is divinity revealed. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now, before we look more closely at that, there is a phrase... The way this starts out, all right, is these simple words, in the beginning. These words are loaded with significance. Like we don't wanna skip past that. Like John is doing something here that is, it's a pretty audacious claim. It was something that for the original hearers, they would have been like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? Why are you using those words? What is it that you're trying to say? So imagine I came in here this morning and said, hey, uh, before we get into the sermon, I just want you to uh, help me out here. I've got this speech that I've prepared. I've been working all week on it. I think it's pretty good. Can you guys listen to it for a moment? And You oblige me and you say, yes, all right. And I <clears throat> kind of clear my throat and I say, "Fourscore and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent, a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. You might be like, hey, That's a great speech, but it's not yours, right? Like some of you would know, like Gettysburg Address, Abraham Lincoln, you're just like, no, 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 no. What are you doing claiming that is your own? What do you mean you worked on that? What are you trying to say? So when John uses this opening line here, in the beginning, it is very intentional. It's not by mistake. He is making an audacious claim that there's something. He's meant to take us back to where these words occurred for the very first time, and it's Genesis chapter 1. And so the parallels in Genesis 1 and John chapter 1 are all over the place. We'll see that as we work our way through it, not only this morning, but in the next couple of weeks. But in the beginning, it's the story in Genesis 1 of creation, of God taking this world that is completely chaotic and it's dark and there's this void and he brings forth life and he calls it good as at the end of each day he looks out over what he's made and he says, it's good, it's good, it's good. So he like it's the pinnacle of his creation and he creates humanity. He's like, ah, it's very good. And so John is getting us to think about that time and that place back when God did this initial work to tell us that there's a new creation that's beginning to happen. That's another thread that runs throughout this great book. And the way that he does that is he wants to call our attention to the powerful word of God. Because it's in the beginning, God, and then what does God begin to do? Well, God begins to speak in Genesis chapter one and life comes forth. There's light and he separates it from the darkness and he begins to create everything, the plants, and he begins to create the animals and he he separates the waters from the land. He does all of these things. How? By the power of his word. Be nice, right? To be able to just speak something and like have that happen, all right? Some of us, we get really frustrated because we try that and nobody seems to listen, right? But God, when he speaks, like things happen, there's new life. And the way that this is spoken of is there's this Greek word logos that is used. Now, we could spend hours on this and we don't have time for this, nor do you probably have the interest in it. But this word at one level would have been a very familiar word for those in sort of the Greek culture, the culture that had been influenced by the Greeks. And it was a way of talking about this idea of what the philosophers would talk about, purpose and meaning in the universe. And so in one way, as John reveals to us who this logos is, that it's Jesus, he's saying the only way to find purpose, the only way to find meaning, the only, the the person that is preeminent, the thing that is ultimate, it's all found in Jesus Christ. And so on one level, that's happening here. And we'll see that as he talks about life. But there's also just this hearkening back to Genesis 1 and this spoken word, because Logos gets translated as word, as we see in the text there. And it's communicating to us, I think, three things, all right? When we hear this, John wants us to know things about like the duration, the distinctiveness, and the divinity, all right? And by duration, simply this. He says, in the beginning was the word. So we tend to think in like timelines, right? Like duration, like how old are you? If you've had a birthday recently, like that means you were born on this date, and how many years have transpired, and all of that. And what's mind boggling to think about is Jesus knows no beginning and no end. Like he's always existed. And so right out of the gate, John is telling us, all right, you're not gonna be able to wrap your mind around this, but in the beginning was the word. Like before anything was made, there's the word. There's Jesus. And yet, he says, and the word was with God. And so we've got this person that is Jesus, and you've got what we begin to see some Trinitarian theology beginning to emerge, that you've got God the Father, and you've got God the Son. One person, yet they're distinct. One being here, all right? And three persons. So in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, but then John goes even further and says, and the Word was God. He speaks of his divinity, needs us to know that who we're talking about is not just some great man, some great moral teacher, somebody that had some pithy statements to make every now and again. No, this man that we're going to see who moved into the neighborhood, as verse 14 will tell us, we'll get into that next week, all right, is none other than God himself. So don't miss that. So now it's in this context, let's look at verses three to five, that John begins to lay out, okay, what did this divinity that was revealed, that Jesus was revealed, this word that was revealed, like what is he here to do? And it's a look back again, but it's also then looking ahead. And so verses three to five say this, all things were created through him. So this is, again, going back to Genesis one. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. And in him was life. And that life was the light of men. And that light shines in the darkness. And yet the darkness did not over it. All things, he says, were created through him. And so again, it's this look back. It's like there in the beginning, Jesus himself created everything. And what he is in the business of doing is taking things that are dark and chaotic and just seemingly spinning out of control and to bring order and beauty as the hebrew scriptures are talking about to bring this shalom this flourishing this wholeness this absolute delight that's what we see in the garden of eden so this is what jesus is creating all things were created through him the apostle paul in the book of colossians this letter would write these words just reminding us hey guys like this is who Jesus is. We need a bigger view of Jesus. Like Lucy before Aslan, you've gotten bigger. Like try and wrap your mind around this. Colossians 1:15 to 17. He that is Jesus, this word, is the image of the invisible God. He is the icon. There's God the Father that's invisible, and yet here's God the Son and Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and get this, and by him all things hold together. So he didn't just do this initial work of creation and kind of step back in this sort of deistic sort, sort of way of just like, all right, well, good luck with that. But rather, he is so intimately involved, not just in times past, but right now, that he is literally upholding all things. Everything is holding together. The fact that I'm speaking words and you're comprehending those, that you just took a breath like all of it, It's because Jesus is holding it all together. And if he removed his hand, it's over. This is the high and lofty and big view of Jesus. And it also tells us, just as an aside, that this world, it matters. Because there was a popular notion around the time that this being written that there were some philosophers that were talking about. It's just the realm of the ideas that matter, sort of the spiritual, the sort of ethereal thing. And yet what do we see in the scriptures? At the end of each day, God looks at us and says, it's good. And so this world matters, your work matters, relationships matter, stewarding the resource of this earth, like caring about the environment, like it all matters to God because he created it. And even now he's upholding it all. Similar theme, the writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter one, like right out of the gate, we're in the second verse and the writer wants us to know, in these last days, He has spoken to us by his son. That's how God communicates. So he communicates his word through the word. God has appointed him heir of all things, and he made the universe through him. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature. Here's that divinity again. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Like the writer of Hebrews wants us to know, he did this work at the beginning, he's continuing to do this work of sustaining and even now he is in the position of power and of authority seated after he accomplished what he came to accomplish. Which is what we see in John chapter one being introduced is this movement from the original creation to new creation. And so, as we think about this, and as we keep that image in mind of Lucy before Aslan and just wondering, like, do I have a big, expansive view of Jesus? The best possible thing for us is to have our view of him grow, to heed the invitation to come and to see. I love the way Tim Keller speaks of this as he's referencing just some of the realities of the world we live in. So, track with the math that he's doing and the imagery here. He says this think about this, think about this world that we inhabit. If the distance between the earth and the sun, 93 million miles, was the thickness of a sheet of paper, I got the sheet of paper and it represents 93 million miles, all right, then the distance between the earth and the nearest star would be a stack of paper 70 feet high. The distance across the galaxy, the diameter of our galaxy, would be a stack of paper 310 miles high. Our galaxy is just one little speck of dust in the universe as it is. If there's a person who holds all that together with the word of his power, his pinky, as it were, is this the kind of person you ask into your life to be your personal assistant? Think about that. We might not use that language of Jesus is here to be my personal assistant, but can we examine for a moment? Can we do the honest work of looking back and saying, how often do I treat him that way? Jesus, can you go get me this? Jesus, will you do this for me? It's not that he doesn't care, and it's not a call to say don't ask him for things, but do we see him as Lord, as sovereign, as the one that we should bow our knee to and worship, just fall on our face and thank you, Jesus, for who you are? Or do we have this sort of entitlement? Jesus, you owe me a different life. This should have gone differently. Jesus, why is this happening? Are we saying to the one who sustains everything, hey, can you go get me something out of the fridge? Like, is that our disposition toward him? And the calling here, what John is laying out before us is, guys, we are created to worship And so as I've said, we're seeing in this, it's this movement though from creation to new creation. It's not just a look back. And so John then says these words in verses four to five, in him was life and that life was the light of men. Again, themes that are gonna come up, like just circle those, those words, make a mental note and start paying attention to where the themes of life and light come up over and over and over again. And when John uses this word life, it's the word zoe. He could have used the word bios. The word bios is simply about your physical makeup. The fact that your lung can help you breathe, take in air, right? That your heart is pumping blood through your body, like all that. That's not what he's talking about, right? Like if somebody ever says to you the loving words, why don't you get a life? They don't mean, why don't you go get a heart and an organ that can pump blood through (laughs) your, your body? That's not what they're talking about. They're speaking of zoe, not bios. They're saying like, why don't you go find some purpose and meaning? Now, it's kind of a mean way to say it, right? But John is saying Jesus embodies it all. He is the life, and then he is the light He is the one that from the very beginning was separating out the, the darkness. he was bringing order, he's bringing beauty and he's inviting us. And so one of the things that happens here, it's in verse five. what should elicit worship just like right in this very opening paragraph is he says this, that light as we speak of Jesus, it shines in the darkness and yet the darkness did not overcome it. So you walk into a room and it's pitch black, right? And you light a match or you turn on a flashlight or you use your phone or whatever it is. Like the darkness has to dispel. Right? Doesn't matter how dark it is. If you turn the the light on, the darkness doesn't like rally together and suddenly snuff out the light, but rather the light permeates the darkness. And everywhere you go, that light goes. And then this is why Jesus speaks of the, the church, all right, as speaking of the light of the world and a city on a hill and giving light. When we're all together, it goes out into the darkness, bringing the light of Christ. But we do that as a reflection. Jesus is the source. He is the light. He is the one that is ushering in the kingdom of light that's pushing back the kingdom of darkness. And so that theme will show up again and again and again. Throughout the book of John, we will run into various people, various conversations, various encounters of people with doubts where they are failing to believe and they all take place at night. They all take place under the cover of darkness. It's John's way again of saying, there's just layer upon layer upon layer. He's trying to get us to connect all the way back to what's happening here in chapter one to see that Jesus is the light. He's the one that pushes out the darkness. And when it says here, the darkness did not overcome it, it's the first time so far in chapter one that we get a verb that's in the present tense. Everything so far has been looking back. Now you might be like, okay, why do we gotta talk about grammar? Does that really matter? But this is significant because it's speaking of something that John will tell in chapter 20. It's speaking very early on, all right? It's gonna connect this thread again that'll show up later in this book, but it's his way of saying the darkness did not overcome it. Well, when was it dark? When did darkness fall upon the face of the whole earth? When Jesus was on the cross. When did it look like darkness had actually won? That darkness was victorious. When the enemy looked like he triumphed over Jesus there on the cross. And then what does Jesus do? He gets put into a tomb and the stone is rolled in front of it. And guess what's there? Complete and utter darkness. And yet what does John say? The darkness did not win. The darkness did not overcome. Three days later, there was new life, there was new creation bursting forth, that Jesus came out of that tomb, showing that he had conquered Satan, sin and death, that he had died in your place and in my place, that he went into the grave, that he went into the darkness, he descended there so that you and I might experience a newness of light. And so right here in verse five, John is just saying, just know this, there's gonna be stories of darkness and of confusion, culminating in the death of Jesus but know this that is not the end of the story one of my favorite uh, singer songwriters is a guy by the name of Andrew Peterson and in particular there's a, a song that I really appreciate of his that's called in the night all right and in this particular song he each verse he sings the story of an old testament particularly like old testament story where somebody is wrestling with God and that there is, there's darkness. And so he talks about Jacob wrestling with God and he talks about Elisha and being surrounded by the enemies of God. And there's this repeated line, I will not sing it because I would destroy the song, all right? But there's this repeated theme, this, this line that says, but in the night, my hope kind of lives on, it goes on. And so he just recounts verse after verse, it's just different episodes in the life of God's people where The darkness did not overcome. It's great. And then we get toward the end of the song and he starts to speak. He starts to sing of what happened to Jesus. So here are the the lyrics. He says, well, I remember how they scorned the son of Mary. He was gentle as a lamb, gentle as a lamb. He was beaten. He was crucified and buried. And in the night, my hope was gone. Now, in that moment, as the song is playing, if you were to listen to that, and those of you, if you go to the cpwp.life, the message notes, you'll see a video. Don't play it now, but there's a video of this song that you can watch later. The music sort of stops for a moment, and there's just this pause, and there's this silence. Because so far, the song had been different. Up until that point, it's like, yeah, there can be all this difficulty, but no, my, my hope goes on, all right? But in this point, in the song, in the night my hope was gone and it's just silence. Now I don't know all that you brought in here this morning but one of the practical implications of this that Jesus is the life and that he is the light and that the darkness does not overcome. Some of us, all we're hearing right now is the silence of God. Like you feel that, maybe he doesn't feel particularly close to you, maybe there's confusion, there's doubt, there's lots of significant wrestling and you're just like, The song was playing, and suddenly it all went silent. John is reminding us, in no uncertain terms, that Jesus endured the ultimate silence. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that, three days later, the light could burst forth, that darkness would not have the final say. So right now, maybe you're feeling that, like we live in this sort of like dramatic, like this pause, we have to look no further than the empty tomb to know that the story, that the church, the story for the followers of Christ that we're part of is that death, darkness does not have the final sight. It might feel like it's winning right now. I don't know the particulars of what you're dealing with and it might feel like, no, there's no way this is gonna be overcome, but in the end, you need to know this, Jesus is victorious. What John is writing in verse five, the darkness did not overcome it. And so as the song continues, it says, but the rulers of this earth could not control him. No, they did not take his life. He's the one who laid it down. And all the chains of death could never hope to hold him. So in the night, my hope lives on. And it concludes by singing this. And I can see the son of man descending. And the sword he swings is brighter than the dawn. And the gates of hell will never stand against him. So in the night, my hope lives on. That's the story you're part of. It may feel darkness. It may feel very dark. It's not just that it feels that way. It might actually be that way. But to know this, like Jesus has conquered, that Jesus is ruling and reigning, and that one day Jesus comes wielding a sword to set everything right. So on the one hand, yes, humble Galilean peasants, but also victorious warrior and king. And so, for the next few minutes, let's just look briefly at this. What John is saying then, if this is true, he introduces us to a man that's called John the Baptist or John the Baptizer, all right? In verses six to nine, we hear this call to being a witness, to bear testimony. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light. But he came to testify about the light, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So we're introduced to this man named John. We're gonna look at, we're gonna see more of his life over the next couple of weeks and throughout this book. But just hear this. We're introduced to a man that's bearing witness. You think about this, what John is doing is you think like a courtroom and somebody is called, right? I call the witness to the stand, and they put their hand on the Bible, and they swear to tell the whole you know, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. What John is doing is he's saying, I know in the culture that I live in, he said, hey, somebody's testimony, somebody's word, somebody's bearing witness, like truth had to be verified by at least two to three witnesses. And so, again, what he's put together is witness after witness after witness so that you might know, so that you might believe. And so John the Baptist is bearing witness about the reality of Jesus. But it's not just for John, the invitation becomes then for us as followers of Christ, will we bear witness together? Will we bear witness to how Jesus is the light even in the midst of our darkness? Will we bear witness to what he has done, what he has actually accomplished? And there's significance that happens as you carry your light into the darkness, but there is an There is a power in the church collectively moving together in unity, pushing back the darkness, not because we're the light, but we reflect the light that is Christ. So that's our invitation to bear witness. N.T. Wright, talking about these themes, the theologian, says it this way. Let me read this quote to you. He's inviting us, again, he's speaking to, don't you want true life? because there's a shallowness that is so easy. It's offered to us, we're bombarded with it. Just pursue this, pursue this or that, and they can be good things, but they ultimately don't satisfy. So he's asking us to consider like the claims that are being made here. He says this, how can you live with the terrifying thought that the hurricane has become human? that fire has become flesh, that life itself came to life and walked into our midst. That's the story John's telling here. Christianity either means that or it means nothing. It is either the most devastating disclosure of the deepest reality in the world, or it's a sham, a nonsense, a bit of deceitful play acting. Most of us, unable to cope with saying either of those things, Condemn ourselves to live in the shallow world in between. In the darkness and the lights, John is continually putting before us a choice. Will you believe? Not a half hearted, like one foot in, one, one foot out, not straddling the fence, but rather if Jesus is who he says he is, then the best possible response is for us, like, push all our chips in, like we're all in with Jesus. We're gonna trust him, we're gonna surrender to him, we're gonna believe his word, we're gonna believe that his commands, they're the best possible way to live. When we're discouraged, we're gonna remember that he is the light and he's defeated the darkness. When we feel that and hear that voice of condemnation, we're gonna remember that that's not from Jesus, that's not from God, but rather that is from the pit of hell and Jesus has defeated our enemy. And so we don't have to listen to those words anymore. It's gonna help us distinguish between the difference between good godly conviction, but knowing the difference when it becomes condemnation. We're like, no, no, no. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you going to live, are you gonna lean into that more? And so as this particular section closes, we see the response that's before us. And John tells us, You either respond one way, against Jesus, or you respond in a way that you're with Jesus. And so in verses 10 to 13, it says this. We'll close with these words. He was in the world, and the world was created through him. So he's again, he's recounting this. And yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name, who are born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. This is impossible to do, but can, can you just think about like how devastating these words are that he's writing when he speaks of rejection? He's literally saying to us, Jesus created the whole world, it was all made through him and yet the world, everything that he created didn't recognize him. And it's not that it's a recognition that speaks of like, oh, I couldn't tell that that was Jesus, he had a face covering on, I couldn't tell if it was him, right, it's not that sort of thing. But rather, it's this, I'm not gonna submit to him. I'm not gonna recognize him as Lord, as creator of, as you know, the one that is the ruler of all. I want to do what I want to do. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Like, if you've ever dealt with rejection, which we all have, right, and it's just this overwhelming feeling, and and you're wondering, like, can anybody relate? Can anybody understand? And you might say to yourself, like, nobody understands the pain that I'm going through. Like, go back to this. This is where... The, the timelessness of the scriptures, how they continue, they're living and active, they continue to speak to us. Like you think about Jesus entering into this world. It was not easy. He's literally fashioned every single person. He's created them. He knit them together in their mother's womb. He's like, you're my handiwork. You're my masterpiece. You're, look what I did. And they're like, mm, see you later. I don't want anything to do with you. Unless we think for a moment that that rejection is just out there in the world, no, no, like it's in the church, it's in my heart, and it is subtle, and yet we have to recognize it for what it is. I came across this quote in a, a devotion I was been reading through this year, and this guy's name Robert Capen, and he says this. These are some hard words to wrestle through, but he's talking about this rejection and sometimes what it looks like. He says the word. I I should say the world's deepest problem instead of the words. The world's deepest problem is not badness as opposed to goodness, it is sin. The incurable human tendency to put self first, to trust number one and no one else. Okay, so far, like, okay, I get that. But now look what he says When I crippled my children emotionally, or when my parents crippled me, it was not done out of meanness or spite. It was done out of love, genuine, deeply felt, endlessly pondered human love, flawed, alas, by a self-regard so profound that none of us ever noticed it. What is he getting at? That there can even be the best attempts toward love and care and compassion, and yet this sin problem, it is so pervasive like we want to minimize it. We want to think that we, we don't have this poverty of spirit. Like the depth of my sin. So even in my best efforts to love and to care for other people has the propensity because it's so tainted by self that it can cripple other people. Like that's how deep this problem goes. And Jesus comes on the scene offering us life and yet we continue to say, no, no, I'm good. I can fix this myself. There's this rejection. Instead of an awareness of how deep the problem goes and of how great a savior Jesus is, we just continue to turn toward self. And it is the self-regard, he says, is so profound that none of us ever noticed it. My prayer for us in this series is not only would we notice Jesus, but that we would notice our own hearts more we would see the ways that we continue to reject him, that when we hear the sad and terrible news of yet another Christian leader, making it in the news for terrible, ungodly behavior, when we see that, we would look at that and we would would grieve that, and yet at the same time that we wouldn't stand with a posture of like, I can't believe they did that, that we would see like, I've got that same propensity, that's in my heart, that's in your heart, that we desperately need Jesus. And so the responses are varied. But there's no mushy middle, there's no gray. It's either you're either with Jesus or you're against Jesus. And so Jesus, John tells us about those who are with Jesus, about this reception He says, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to have an inheritance, to have a belonging at the table, all of it, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. I put this up here from bloodlines to belief. It's another theme that we're gonna see even as Jesus has an encounter in the darkness of night with a man struggling to believe named Nicodemus, who's like, wait, I've got the bloodline. I'm part of God's people. I've done all the religious right things. I am part of this nation. I'm a Jewish man. not only that, like I've got this pedigree, all of it. And it's this way that John is taking us back again to the book of Genesis and saying, well, how did the original family get created? Was it about bloodlines or was it about belief? God chose a man named Abram. And he's righteous, not because of anything he's done, but he was credited as righteous because of his faith, because of his belief that God is who he says he is. And he pushed all his chips in and said, I'm gonna follow him. And he was an imperfect man to be sure. But there's this call, there's this invitation when we believe were brought into the family, and that is really good news. There's nothing for us to earn. There's there's no particular pedigree that you have to have. Like, this is earth-shattering news, and John never got over it. Near the end of his life, as a very, very old man, who's been exiled, doesn't have much longer to live, but he never got over the fact that he'd been brought in. That it wasn't about his bloodline, it wasn't about the family that he was born into, but it was about the belief in trust in Jesus and the free offer of salvation. And so in 1 John, one of his letters, chapter 3, verse 1, how great he says, is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Are you resting in that? Do you know that? And then John says, and that is what we are. Can you just picture? This elderly John. And he's, he's just marveling. I, God, he's just like, I want more people to know, to come and see and meet the real Jesus. Like, he loves me. He died for me. I'm his child. I'm his son. I'm his daughter. I have all the rights that children have in the family. Like, this is mind-blowing. Thank you, Jesus. And so we get to be part of that story. We get to bear witness to that We get to come and to see and to taste that the Lord, that he is good. And one of the ways we get to do that this morning is by participating in a a meal together. So I'm going to close in prayer and we're going to sing a song together. And as the song is playing, if you're at home, you can get communion elements together. For those of you that are here, please come up and grab from either side of the the stage. And then after this song that we all sing together, I'll call us to participate in this, this meal. But let's rest, let's celebrate the fact that we belong to him, that anybody can get in on this. So let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your pursuit of us, that the deep fatherly affection that you have for us that would have you send your one and only son to live a perfect life, a sinless life, the life that we are incapable of living, that Jesus, you did that when you died in our place. And you've given us your righteousness to all who would believe, who would accept that free gift. And so God, I pray that as we worship you through song and through this meal, and as we, we leave even today, that worship wouldn't stop, that we would live lives of worship, overflowing with praise, bearing witness even in the midst of darkness, even in the midst of struggle, even in times of feeling like, God, you're far, like when things seem silent, we come back to what we've heard in this text this morning, that Jesus, you are the life and you're the light, and the darkness has not overcome it, that we are resurrection people, and we're part of a story of redemption. So God help us to bear witness to that. and so God, as we sing to you, as we participate in this meal, would you use this, God, to encourage us, to strengthen us? And God, I pray in all of it that you would get your glory and that we as your people would experience a deep and abiding joy. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.